This is Neon Radio, episode 159, with muralist and artist Sean Yoro, a.k.a. The Hula. Welcome to Neon Radio. I'm your host, Nick Onkin, fashion and lifestyle photographer for today's top brands, performers, and game changers. On this podcast, we explore the body, mind, and soul of the creative entrepreneur, bringing you inspiring guests to help take your creativity, business, and life to the next level. What's up, my fellow Neonites? I'm Nick Onkin, and I'm excited to bring you today's amazing guest on the Neon Radio podcast. His name is Sean Yoro. He is Hawaiian-born, Hawaiian all through and through. He's an amazing artist, and he's a, an amazing visual artist, but his art is also the process of how he does things. But what I want you to do right now is take out your phone because he's so visual, take out your phone and go over to Instagram and check his Instagram out. It is the underscore hula, H-U-L-A, and peep his work. Get an idea of it so that when we go into the interview, you can actually visualize it as you're listening to what we're talking about because it's pretty sick. He paints mostly on water. He does a lot of, you know, he paints in the studio as well, but most of his big projects, he's painted on icebergs. He's painted underwater. He's paints on walls next to waterfalls and all over the place. He paints from a paddleboard. So he paddles out to where he's painting and has with all of his paints and paints on the walls. And he's got to calculate all these different variables that go into that, which is what we talk about on the podcast, we talk about his his journey to New York and how he first started. And he was living off in a small, small little studio, sleeping on a yoga mat next to his canvases in Bushwick for 250 bucks a month and a dollar a day on food. We also talk about his new project, which is super, super dope. He is free diving and painting underwater on concrete canvas for the coral reefs. All of his projects have an environmental cause to them and brands are coming at him to sponsor him to do all these dope, dope murals for them. So we talk about that a lot more on the podcast. He's a super cool guy into all the life hacking and entrepreneur stuff as well. So he's got that side of the brain, which I find fascinating and, and all of the calculations and everything that it takes. So he's got this analytical side as well to create the art and to create the materials for the art. Super cool. So before we jump in, just want to let you guys know that you can join the Neon Life community over at neonlife.com slash community. You can also sign up for monthly or weekly updates on the newsletter. And actually go over to the, the neonlife.com slash quiz quiz site or page. It's like 10 quick questions. And we'll actually serve you up some free content to help you out in your creative journey all across from creative process to life hacks to biohacking, all that good stuff. And now opening up a, a, a space of how spirituality and creativity are connected and how you can actualize them a lot more. So I'm super excited about it. Oh yeah. And just a fair warning, there's probably a lot of door slamming in the background. I was a, We were rented a conference room at the WeWork in Long Beach. Very not happy about this. I actually paid for this room and they don't even have like slow down door stopper thingies to, to quiet the slamming. So it was happening probably every couple of minutes. Quite distracting, but there was nothing I could really do about it. 
Anyways, that said, just pre-warning you, with that, I give you the one, the only, Mr. Sean Yoro. What's up, everyone? Today, we have Sean Yoro, aka The Hula, on the show today. Sean is an amazing artist, and you're bridging, kind of going from, like, working with street art, but also now in the fine art world. Is that is that accurate? Exactly, say? yeah. Well, it's kind of, it's always hard to explain what I do just because it has to do with, I started off in fine art, and then I went to street art, and then I also added in this whole nature aspect and working out in environment, so... Every time I say street artist, it doesn't sound right because I barely work in the street or, you know, on typical <laughs> city walls. Yeah, absolutely. So since this is audio podcast, we'll also post some photos and stuff on on the on the podcast page and everything. But it's hard on audio to to describe visual. But yeah. I'd love you for you to just give a description of like what your art is and what it looks like. His art's amazing, by the way. It's <laughs> he paints in water, underwater, above water, mixed in water, <laughs> everything around water, and probably some other other spaces too. But uh, I'll let you jump in and and describe it. Yeah, I've always been really interested in figure art, and so my most I would say ninety percent of my artwork is directly like realism with some kind of human figure involved with it and i like to create these murals in nature so like i was saying before directly in different environments whether that started out actually in on ocean walls and then it quickly grew to then going into the arctic zone and then into forest and then underwater recently but just basically adding as many variables as I can to add layer and stories into my artwork. And yeah. it's kind of the fun part of it because there's so much more angles I, I want to push and, and be able to accomplish. I mean, yeah, you've even painted on icebergs, right? Yeah. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. And it was, that one was my second project of when I got into these nature murals and it really pushed me to my limits just because, you know, typical Hawaii boy and not knowing anything about the cold, anything about sub-zero <laughs> weather and having to go paint out there. I was so ill-prepared, you know, just the team of three of us out there and, and oh we kind of try to get accomplished. And it was, yeah, it was, it was one that meant more to me just because with the first launch of Hula and all the success it got and the exposure it got, it was more just a, one-sided story of a surfer painting on walls and i wanted the deeper messages to get really translate in there yeah and a lot of people didn't pick that up right away especially with the press so with the icebergs it was clear that there was this message of climate change and you know the whole melting rate at that point was just becoming like a, the scale of it was yeah it was that particular summer was really bad so it, it just all timing of it worked perfect for me to just go out there, create this, this series out there and, and create all this awareness. And, and it was much more at the end of the day, it was much more satisfying for me than yeah. just to be some, you know, little niche surf, surfer kid painting on some wall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it, and it's all about environmental cause and that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, like I said, for me and um, growing up in Hawaii, there's a lot of emphasis put on, being sustainable and you know Hawaiian culture in general is is you you don't overconsume you you kind of live off the land as much as you can and you preserve it for the generations to come and, and there's a very very high emphasis on that and when I moved to New York I 
I saw that, oh, it, it's not a normal, you know, for me, I thought it was common sense, you know, to, yeah. in my, my community, especially on the countryside of Oahu, we, everyone kind of pitched in and everyone beautified the community and the beaches. And oh, wow. it was, yeah, somewhat of a culture shock when I moved to New York, but I also knew that I was, I was privileged in the way that, you know, it, it was, it is a default way for me to think and yeah. And I have to, I, I, that's what I'm passionate about whenever I look at art is to like, what holes do I see in society where I can draw a different perspective from and, and be able to translate it better than just saying, you know, take care of the land. You know, it's so much of a, of a, it, it, yeah, it, it's that walking that fine line between trying to spread awareness and then just preaching to people and trying to make them change abruptly, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's the trick, right? Because like when you're in, you know, when you grow up in a culture where that is, is part of it and you come to a place like New York city or wherever, where it's like, people aren't aware of that. And it's like, exactly. Like slowly kind of. Help yeah. Create yeah. Almost a brand campaign around. Exactly. That's a slip into people's. And, and I totally understand even, you know, it's a different culture and, in no way is, is Hawaiian culture better because there's so much holes in it as well. You know, it's a very warrior culture and, and there's a lot of not cons in, in the way that you grow up, but there is much more a different system of, of living in, in a tiny communities like that. And and for me, there's a lot of pros and that outweigh the, the bads. But yeah, the, it's always just a different setting, different place. And I could totally see myself, you know, if I grew up in in any other city, totally adapting to whatever, you know, culture came out and who knows what I've been painting then. <laughs> yeah, totally. So now you grew up in the, on, on Hawaii in Oahu, yeah. um, North shore, South shore, side shore. <laughs> uh, yeah. East side. So I grew up in Kahalu. So it's right around the corner from the country's more side of, of the windward uh, side. So yeah, I had kind of the best of both worlds because I could go around to the North Shore, you know, have the beaches up there and then yeah. shoot over. And I worked, you know, in town as a surf surfer instructor as a kid growing up on Waikiki. So <laughs> it, was, it was literally the best of both worlds because I got I got a break from from the tourists and the whole big city life and then was able to have this little little side end on, on the east side yeah that's beautiful so how did you even get into painting and art and all that stuff yeah so originally i'm mean, now I, I was a typical i always say this but it's such cliche because it's so such a if someone would think of someone growing up in hawaii it would be you know i was spent all my day in the water surfing and i would go to a community college i was barely passing i think i had like a 1.2 and GPA oh wow. and I don't even know why I was going, but yeah, my, my biggest dream was to be a lifeguard actually. So I was lifeguarding since I was 18. And so when I was 21 was when you kind of, I was going through the system and working my way up and, and my big dream and, and lifeguarding in, in Hawaii, especially the North shores is, is very respected of a, of a profession. And to me, they're the superheroes, you know, I'd see these guys, charging, you know, 30 foot waves to go save someone. And, and that's Jeez. what I wanted to do, you know, for Crazy. my life. But it, it was kind of a weird point in my life. I had kind of just no direction other than this lifeguard job. And, you know, I was never, I just thought, oh, it's something I could do. And it's something that I was still passionate about, but I felt like I was playing it safe. And mm -hmm. there was, it was just kind of a pivoting moment in my life where you know, I had this community, like I was just failing at community college. I had to figure out what I was going to do the next semester because 
I got kicked off financial aid because I had no GPA. So I ended up doing one more semester and I just took, I had one elective course and I took a charcoal drawing class. And I remember that first day I walked into that class, it was, it was done. Like I, I was, Ideal. I had saw, you know, what my instructor could draw with just charcoal and, and a model in front of him. And to me, that was magic. Like, it was just like, whoa, how is this dude yeah. doing this? And then from there, I, I was like, okay, if there's anything in, in, like, even if I just give this one chance and I come back to Hawaii broke, I'm still going to be at the same spot. I can still go back to lifeguarding, yeah. you know? So I decided the very next summer I was going to move to New York and just try this artist, artist career out. And I was so naive with it though, because I, one only saved up 800 bucks thinking that that would have lasted me, you know, <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> this is 2011 or 2012. And I was like, Oh yeah, you know, that'll last me at least six months. <laughs> and <laughs> so 50 bucks to breathe in New York. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And it was, yeah, it, it was, I'm glad I went into naively just because if I knew how much work and struggle and pain it what it the following years would come, I would have never stepped foot off the island. So wow. I'm, I'm glad that it, it came to me like, yeah, so <laughs> naively, you know, 20, I think I was 21 at the time. And yeah, when I made the move again, I, I had 800 bucks in my bank account, quickly ran out of money and then started living in these office buildings that, you know, you're not allowed to sleep in, but I would have to, it basically I had, you know, you're not allowed to have any cooking things because they knew people would try to sleep in these Brooklyn little office studios. Oh, so wow. they were very strict on having any kind of bedding, any kind of cooking things. So I would literally sleep on a yoga mat on the hardwood floor in my eight foot by 10 foot art studio. Wow. Yeah. And it was, but I was getting away with three, it was only $250 a month for rent in in brooklyn for uh, art studio so i was like yeah i basically slept right next to my easel on the floor and did that for three years wow yeah and, and then it's incredible learned how to survive because it it was totally not only the new york culture was a total different experience for me but it was also this new way of life of surviving like i was in survivor mode because yeah it's funny I, I tell the story a lot but i have this this because i was just pinching pennies together every week for that. Cause I knew I had this idea before I left the 10,000 hour rule yeah. where all you have to do is 10,000 hours and you'll master something. So I, <laughs> I just stuck to that. And I was like, okay, if I can, cause I could have, I was busting tables at restaurants and I could have, you know, took on more shifts, but I was like, as long, if I'm able to just baseline survive and, and any way I can save money, that's more t hours, the quicker I can make those 10,000 hours. Yeah. So I would have these calculations every week of, okay, how can I cut more hours, even down to the minute? And I was so obsessed with this 10,000 hour rule. And it, <laughs> Malcolm Gladwell, man. Yeah, exactly. It's such a good book. And, and it was, for me, when I started that 10,000 hour rule, I, I had this log book, but for some reason being naive again, I thought something was just going to click as soon as I hit 10,000 hours. <laughs> like, oh, there, there we go. Success. No more, like, I thought just money was just going to start flowing it's in like, as soon. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's just a button. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm at least glad because it gave me structure into what I think 
I see a lot of people that don't have much direction and focus into one thing. That's, I mean, that's the one thing that I knew was like, okay, I can't spread myself out. I only have to master painting and that's it. 10,000 hours on painting itself. I can't go into any kind of other design work because I was still interested in, you know, I, I was dabbling in, in a lot of different types of art and, and, but for some reason painting always stood out to me and I knew, okay, make, I just, Took a week, made a decision. Okay, painting's it. Okay, cool. Yeah. And then that's when I started logging the hours. And then, yeah, and that's when I made the calculation. Okay, if I move into these offices, I can, 250 bucks, I only have to work, you know, one night a week, then make that. <laughs> and I narrowed it down even to, you know, for food, I I was down to like a dollar a day and I was eating, what? yeah. Like, and I couldn't- noodles, like spam. I, well, <laughs> exactly, I wish. But even- I narrowed down to like, it's funny because I was Googling like, what's the, like the, the minimum amount you need to survive and what nutrients you need. So the best thing I found was eggs and refried beans. So that's the cheapest source of protein, the cheapest, like all around you can survive off of it. So (laughs) my diet was two eggs and a can of refried beans in the, for dinner. So I would just eat twice. And it, it was funny because a lot of people, I tell them it was two positives because not only did I save on money, but when you're eating the same thing every single day, you're not distracted by food. Like I would only eat if it was, I was really, really hungry. And so <laughs> other than that, I'd be painting, you know, or, or researching. And wow. And it, it, yeah, it, it just put me into this survival mode again, that, that it wasn't so much as to the work I was getting done, but more the, the, I guess the discipline that I, that I learned the hard way. And it was, yeah, I mean, so many times I wanted to go back and just be a lifeguard. You know, there's hundreds of times, you know, in multiple times a day, I would just think about, man, I have enough money to take a one-way trip back to Hawaii. Why don't I just do that? Cause you know, the beaches were waiting for me. Lifeguarding was waiting for me. I could just pick (laughs) up and go, but I'm glad I stuck it out, you know, cause it, it was a long road, but you know and it's easy to say now but yeah looking back i was like man i i don't know how i continued because to me it was yeah no way did it even for three years yeah three years well i mean that's just an attest to you like your willpower and what yeah. that's what it takes to become successful yeah works so hard yeah exactly and and i think that's my my character i've noticed since i was a kid one i'm a twin twin brother so or i have a twin brother i'm a twin and so (laughs) i grew up really competitive you know me and him are always neck and neck because we're always you know when you grow up as a twin you're always compared to the person next to you that looks exactly like you (laughs) and so me and him are really really competitive yeah and so one i was competitive and two i would just get obsessed with things you know uh, anything that entered my life whether it was surfing or anything i would latch onto it and nothing else you know that'd be my life forever and and it's good and bad because i get tunnel vision a lot and i can't see a lot of outside things but it also helped me because it's easier for me to stay dedicated as a because i see a lot of beginning artists that yeah kind of you know don't really have a defined goal in mind but it that was the easiest part for me is Mm -hmm. is to just kind of uh, like if I'm not good at it, 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 to me, it feels like 
I, I would I won't be like I, I'll just get so upset if I if I screw up or if I can't figure it out. I remember when I first started learning art on my own, I'm just reading these books and listening to YouTube videos and all of this stuff. And so it was so like defeating because I didn't have an uh, actual structured art class to see if I, you know, if I failed at a technique, I had no idea how to fix it, right. but except for go on YouTube again and watch <laughs> more YouTube videos. But for me, yeah, I, would, I wasn't going to stop until, cause it, again, I was like, all right, well, I may have failed on this 10 hour painting, but I put 10 more hours into that 10,000 hour log book. So, you know, it's a great way. It, that's a great <laughs> perspective though. Right. Because like, if you have the bit, that's a bigger, it's like a bigger yeah. perspective. Yeah. Like, oh, if I just, if I'm, even if I'm like just logging, whether it sucks or not, yeah. I'm still like getting Exactly. Better. Exactly. And it, I mean, it, again, it was naive because I, again, I thought it was just all going to click as soon as I hit that point and it, as soon like the closer and closer I got to those those hours being put in and the final hours in I I realized that you know it wasn't it wasn't this magical milestone it was the accumulation of everything I had learned and you know not only that was how to survive you know and and that's one thing is is even that gives me actually the like because people are always asking you know how do you especially when I've created these projects that were successful and then to put it all on the line again to invest into another concept of mine, like with this last underwater one, you know, yeah. it was a huge investment on my end because we couldn't sell it to marketers yet because it was a concept idea, you know, uh, and it was a passion project of mine. And, and I felt so strong that I didn't want anybody, any hands in on it, you know, any brands or anything, because I, I needed it to be told how, how I saw it yeah. first. And so it was... A struggle just to put everything back on the line to to kind of produce this one on my own. But to me, the skills I learned in New York on how to survive, you know, I can go back to two eggs and a refried beans a day and, and be <laughs> fine. So if it all fails and I, yeah. you know, completely go bankrupt on the next idea, I can go back and rebuild. So yeah. that's one thing that really gives me confidence is I think that and I... Mm have that love-hate relationship with New York. But, you know, for, for the most part, it, it got me where I needed it to be. It taught you, yeah. Exactly. Why did you pick New York in the first place? Again, not knowing anything, being Hawaii, but I was like, oh, where do I know that's, you know, full of art? And I've seen, like, movies about New York. I'd never been. And so I just was like, yeah, New, York, New York's the place. Um, <laughs> I also had, because in Hawaii, everything runs on favors. And so I knew if I had been if i kind of started my art career in hawaii i could have gotten connected into galleries and gotten connected and and shows at yeah. certain venues and and all this and i could have had some initial success but for me it if i was going to do it i wanted to prove to myself that i could do it without any favors without right. any connections and it was more of an ego thing where I was like, okay, I'm going to go someplace. I don't know. Nobody knows me. I don't have any. Yeah. Cause I, yeah, it was just, it was almost like I, I, I wanted the, like I, I just came up with this, the hardest plan I could just to test myself for yeah. no reason. I mean, not for no reason, but it, I, I did it naively where it wasn't very calculated in the end. Yeah. 
Wow, that's incredible, man. <laughs> thank you. Thank what you. a what a life. I mean, to go from Hawaii to to New York and Yeah. I mean, what what do you think was the biggest thing you learned through being in New York in terms of like for your career? I think I mean, again that grit. I think nowhere could I have been taught that grit and experience of of surviving and and competing with cuz there's the best street artists in the world based there as well and you know, I in my head, I couldn't compete with them. I didn't, I had no training. I, you know, yeah. I, I just started art at 21 yeah. and I was like, I have so much catching <laughs> up to do. How am I going to do this? And so I, but I realized it was almost easier to let go of this vision that I had, you know, of some successful, because for me, the success I thought was going to be in galleries up there and, mm -hmm. and doing these really realistic painting, oil paintings. And, you know, I wanted to be in that fine art world and be in auctions and auction houses and all this. And I thought that was the only way that I was going to be able to make it. Mm -hmm. And when I let go of that dream, because it wasn't, you know, it's such a, for me, I wasn't having fun. I, I was gaining some exhibits and stuff and, and some traction. Uh, the first, I think the third year I was in New York, I started actually showing my work and it wasn't fun though. And I didn't want to be cooped up in a studio all day, just painting these, these canvases. And, and I realized I needed to combine all my passions that led me to that, to New York, you know, and that was where I kind of had, cause I've always been intrigued by street art. That was the first thing that got me into, uh, I realized, you know, my teenage years, I was always a huge fan of street art without really knowing it. You know, I would always just study it more longer. And I knew I wanted to somehow kind of break into the street art world and not like, it was more my, my level as far as not being in a gallery and having to just not boring art, but, it was just, I, I felt so much freer when I let go of that gallery idea and came back to, okay, what am I really passionate about in life? And that was, you know, being in the ocean. I mean, yeah, the ocean influenced my childhood, taught me it's my biggest lessons as a kid, you know, yeah. surfing. You, you learn really well, like really quickly to respect the ocean in Hawaii just because, <laughs> you know, 15 years old and I'm out in North Shore, double overhead waves and, and I learned my limits really fast. But yeah, it's it's always been a part of my life and it was missing when I went to New York. And so I wanted to incorporate it again. And it, it this whole concept just kind of all fell together where, you know, if I was like, well, what if I painted the side of a wall and in the ocean? Because, you know, originally I was just searching up abandoned walls to because yeah. I didn't want people to see these big murals I was doing because I was so un unconfident at what I was doing. You know, I was like, I don't want to go find a wall in Brooklyn and everyone laugh at it when I'm done. I was <laughs> right. like, let's go out to these abandoned walls out in Jersey, you know, these random walls. And then I found these this waterfront that was abandoned. And that's the first time where I was looking at these walls and I was like, wait, why don't I go out on the water? And my original thought was to use some kind of barge system to put all my supplies and everything. Yeah. And then the idea came, wait, why don't I just throw everything on my paddleboard? You know, I'm com I, I lived on a surfboard, so I, I'm comfortable on a surfboard. And, and so it was a crazy idea. And I ended up just throwing everything on and testing it out, doing some experimental trips and, and, it 
it all worked out. And it was the first time where something worked out that smoothly with, with a kind of, and it's one of those, I guess, experiences where you, there's very few moments in my life, I guess, where something so clear to me that that was made for me to do kind of thing. So even when I left Hawaii, you know, it wasn't mine, really my path. It's a typical path to leave, leave your hometown and, and find a dream. But for some reason that like, I, I just standing back and looking at that first w- mural on the water, it was just yeah. this, this couldn't have been made for anyone but me to do, you know, it's, we have a saying in, in Hawaii, it's called Kuleana and it's your role or responsibility in the community. Mm-hmm. And that's for me was my first Kuleana was when I had this clear as, you know, it's crystal clear, like, Oh, this is what I was supposed to be doing. Yeah. You know? And, and it was weird. Cause I'm, like we were talking about earlier, like I'm, I'm not that spiritual, but this one for sure seemed some like uh, it, it was the clearest kind of direction I had ever in my life. Wow. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. What? So it was exciting though. Cause just to kind of finally, cause from there, when, when I first started those water murals and it was a small team with me and my brother in the beginning and my twin brother. And, and he was shooting photos and documenting it in video. And we had labeled this one Hula because that was going to be my street artist name because we were doing it on these, you know, abandoned walls. We didn't know if we are going to get in trouble. So we just, I used a <laughs> alias name just in case. Yeah. And when we launched Hula and we, you know, we just put together a website and, and launched and on social media and it was you know, as much as I see so many viral things happen online, it was it, it was just crazy because for me, we launched Hula and on a Wednesday and by Friday, you know, it was all over mainstream news. And it, it, it was so surreal because wow. it was just, this was the first time where something in my sketchbook that I just doodled down a project, you know, and then to see it now covered all over the internet was so surreal. And then it, it changed everything um, just like that. And so it was just the same thing was like, that was coming on right around the fourth year of me being in New York and to go through four years of, of the gnarliest test of my life. And then to have it all changed that quick is just such a, it, it, it's so cliche, but it was so overnight. <laughs> I mean, it was, this, it was your, you hit your 10,000 hours and it's like snapped. Yeah, exactly. Imagine if that was the 10,001 hour. <laughs> right. Right. Well, it's interesting. Cause like, I mean, when I was building my photography career, I was doing it and I don't, I don't have the exact calculations, but it was about, it was around like four or five years of when like things started to really click. And I was like doing a lot of my own, like my own work and like, tests and building my portfolio yeah, yeah. so it's it is yeah. it really kind of there's something around that yeah. ten thousand hour yeah. mark yeah. that you just kind of like you get you acquire the skills yeah right? yeah did your like kind of vision change from the beginning of those years to the end like where you're going in a total different direction yeah i mean it's not like a total different direction i mean now i'm really like kind of focusing more on portraiture mm. which i really love telling people like photographing people with in with more story behind it, more narrative thing mm, like that. Nice, yeah. nice. So awesome. But yeah, I mean, I totally, I totally get that. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, so the Hulu is now is that that's is that a separate kind of thing that you're doing is with the street art or is it like you're are you heading that direction now? Um, yeah. So uh, Hula, less fine art or more fine art. Yeah, yeah. So Hula itself is you know this whole 
it started out as just that street art side, but mm-hmm. then I ended up combining it into what I do fully um, from the fine art world. And so, yeah, most people just know me as Hula, as a full artist in, in both spectrums. Um, okay, gotcha. But yeah, it's exciting because now, you know, all my artwork is fully incorporated into everything that I do because I'm not, I think that first test was kind of, not being afraid to pull in every part of your passions, you know, cause I didn't think surfing was going to play a part in artwork. You know, I thought, yeah, what now that's, that's a total different field. And now that it's, yeah, it's kind of built up this confidence where I'm able to not be so shy about what I'm passionate about. You know, I'm able to pull in, you know, that's why I expanded into climate change and environmental issues. And then I also, with my, work in forests and stuff and and so in forests i went out and painted these figures on on these burnt trees that had regrown and and so that one had a whole separate issue that that it was behind it and and so from there we went over to the underwater project which was all about coral reefs and the destruction of them and and how artificial reefs and and there's so many solutions that are happening right now that we could you know kind of be aware about and so it yeah it kind of just brought about a whole new model of how i construct these projects and and figure it out and you know there's so many things i hope to accomplish within the next you know five years and and i'm always just actively trying to figure out new angles new perspectives and it's fun just because there's it almost like i I put off all the limits that I was, you know, I thought was on artwork itself and fine yeah. art world. Yeah. sounds like you have like a very, you have like the analytical side of your brain that, that helps you actually put the logistics of these art projects together. Yeah. What is the, like, what does the creative process look like when you're doing one of these murals out on the water? Cause I know like I saw some, like if you look on his Instagram, you'll see like some of these projects that the, the water goes up and down. Right. So you have to kind of paint along with the tide. Yeah. And yeah. Things like that. Yeah. That one's a fun one. We're actually going back there in a month, but that's in the Bay of Fundy, St. John, New Brunswick oh, wow. in Canada. And so, yeah, with, with any project, when you're dealing with nature, there's so many variables that you can't control, you know, and it's, it's fun because in coming from fine art background, everything's controlled in your studio. You know, everything right. you got specific paint, you have, you know, your exact brush you like, but in nature, <laughs> especially when I'm going to these remote areas, you know, I have to figure out everything from how much we, how much weight we can have, you know, and I got to switch up my supplies from there. And then also just being, working with nature, I use all, you know, eco-friendly supplies. So they, it doesn't last as long, you know, right. if in kind of the, when especially when you work on canvas you you think oh okay i'm i'm painting this thing it's gonna last for at least 100 years or 200 years you know if you if you preserve it right but i had to let go of that because these these murals were they were probably in the beginning definitely like the salt water just eats it up within a month and so it fades it really quick yeah and so i would get so mad because i was like man i just spent you know (laughs) 50 hours out there in the water and it's gone within a month. But it's also just freeing because, you know, I have my brother and and my production team documenting everything. And it's almost like we capture a moment in time and, you know, it's, it adds to the message. You know, I I like that, uh, that impermanence to it and, and how it, it, 
I, you know, for me, street art was never meant to stay forever anyway. You yeah. know, we, we have new ideas and, and new expressions and that was the current, you know, especially when everything changes around it anyway. So why, you know, the, the age yeah. of the mirror almost adds adds value <laughs> absolutely well it's kind of like that buddhist practice right where they build the like sand that was this it's out of a sand they make stuff out of sand oh on the yeah, table. yeah yeah and when they're done they just destroy it all yeah and, you know, exactly like, it's exactly. so much about the practice yeah but yeah at least we can document it now and have exactly yeah <laughs> i know pictures of it i don't know if i'd be able to do it just <laughs> over and over like them <laughs> i know right that would be a crazy thing yeah <laughs> and then, how do you do this so what's what the type of paints that you use that are actually can actually are there waterproof i guess or they would they just dry before um it's always different depending on the exact surface so Mm. um like the new brunswick one in saint john that wall is concrete so it's a porous concrete we have to make sure because it's it stays wet you know the that one in particular just we have to use very specific supplies that you know, there's so much various because it has to dry fast because every six hours the tide's going down. Every six right. hours it comes back up. And so, and to get into logistics of it, it was about a foot and a half every hour. So when I'm painting up and down, it's, oh wait, forget the calculations. It, it might've been four feet an hour. Wait, four. Yeah, yeah, four feet an hour. So it's every 15 minutes, it's a, a little over a foot. So it's, especially the middle part, it, it's just dropping or rising. And so I had to learn to paint one paint quicker, paint precisely. So I'm not wasting, wasting the time, but yeah, it's almost, it's literally like a elevator going up and down, up and down. And so (laughs) we we were, especially when we're coming up there this next month, we're going to have to have our schedules based on the tides. And so we're literally out there 3 a.m. in the morning if it's the right tide for me to hit one spot of the wall. Um, so crazy. So, yeah, it is very calculated. But for that one, yeah, we just use a water-based eco-friendly paint. And that one specifically has to dry within half hour for it to cure well enough when the tide comes back up. Wow. So we have to use uh, kind of specific cures that that will make it dry faster. Oh, um, wow. So, so you mix yeah. it and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, it's just a lot a lot of back end like prep work on, you know, making these materials and making sure they work in salt water and all of this stuff that and even going down to my surfboard and rigging it up to the wall is it's just a lot of calculations that once we're on site, it's much easier to then, you know, just Yeah. Free my mind and paint away. But yeah, there's so much back end wow. prep work. So incredible. How many, how big is your team when you're actually painting? Is it on site? Yeah, it totally depends on kind of who we're working with, what, you know, what needs to be done. Cause for a standard project, we just like to create these short stories and video and photos and, and be able to create some, some attach it to some kind of message that we can translate well enough to, to kind of put towards a good cause. Cause again, it it doesn't seem worth it for me just to be out there for no, no reason. You know, (laughs) I, 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 it's so, especially to be on site at these incredible locations and to actually see, you know, for the icebergs to see it melting that quick and, and all this stuff, it's, it's, it's it's always a surreal moment when I'm finished, but it's also it, it it fires me up because it's like you know this stuff is so 
blatantly wrong like how far we have to go yeah. um, to fixing all these stuff so it it almost is a yeah it, it's one of those things where i, I get burnt out easily just because i especially when i finish finish a project i'll book 10 more projects and and you know burn myself out but it i feed off that passion of of yeah. seeing this destruction out there and, and not having like especially in the art world it's it's harder to see that direct i think one good thing about my art is you can see the direct correlation in nature you know with the yeah. artwork right there and yeah it, it it's a new it's kind of that perspective that that yeah i i want to be able to um to just hone hone in on 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 better ways to translate that and and be able to tell these stories in in the most impactful way yeah absolutely so now you're into, I mean, obviously it's like, it sounds like you're investing into your own art projects personally, like this underwater project. Tell me more about that. What, like, you know, how you invested in it? What, how do you get, tell us about the project first and then we'll yeah. dissect it a little bit. <laughs> Cause it's, um, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. It, I mean, you probably know it's like when in, in every, in any creative field, you always have to have both sides. You know, you have to have the business side and how to mark yourself and sustain your artwork. And then on the other side, you still want to be experimenting and, and trying new things, but you know, it may not be a full fleshed out idea yet that yeah. you can take to market. And so, you know, when we can, we, w what usually happens is I'll be able to kind of, have work with great brands on on projects and concepts I've already done and yeah. so it'll be like the tried and true projects of of stuff that I already know we can produce to the T and yeah. and create really cool impactful projects with platforms or brands and and yeah. be able to sustain more but for my like for this underwater one it was hard to explain to people the exact vision I had in my head because it's it's especially when I'm, I'm saying like, no, you know, I'm going to be down there free diving and creating these pieces. And then, I mean, free diving, that's insane. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. It, it's, it's all, especially when, you know, we only have snippets of tiny little things I had concepted for the, the underwater project. And, and it's so hard to go into these meetings and try to ha like have them envision the same idea because even, I don't really know exactly until I get on site and, and, you know, that one we had created, I think it was four murals total. And I know when, when something is like, I believed, I believed in that project from the day I started, I kind of concepted it when, yeah, another brainstorming session and it kind of just fell, fell together where I was trying to figure out a, a project for reefs and, and coral because even in Hawaii, the the reefs and and coral, especially with our the amount of sunscreen that gets used in on the islands, it's there's all these studies coming out that were so detrimental. It was the it it was just a, it, there needed to be a Im immediate change in in. And I'm glad that the laws actually changed to where they are banning a lot of the sunscreens that they were selling. But oh, really? What was what's the reason for that? So. It's like a few chemicals, but basically it, it's the exact opposite of what coral reefs need because, you know, the sunscreen that gets into the water, it blocks what they, it blocks all their photosynthesis or uh, oh, how they get man. nutrients from the sun. And so they, yeah, it's totally blocked. Yeah, they just, it, they start to bleach 
and then they fully die off. So if, if Korra is bleaching and just is like kind of in shock mode and, and something's wrong, but wow. a lot of the reef in Hawaii were actually dying, dying for good. And so, yeah, I was just trying to figure out some kind of art project to do with this. And, and it, it was another crazy idea I had, but it ended up, you know, after a year and a half of training for it, it finally came together where I was able to get to the physical ability of, of produce or painting down there. And also just, again, all of these, the back end of, okay, what supplies can I use down there? How am I even gonna, you know, one, I, (laughs) I don't even have a reference photo anymore. I usually paint off of a reference photo or there's usually so many things that I would need and I had to figure out how to get it down there and, and how to, yeah, just, just, produces in, in general and, and also be able to document everything and no it was it, it was just when you have these super concept visionary projects where you have no idea how it's actually going to turn out it's it's always just yeah it's it's just kind of a, it's a in between of being able again to just invest it back into what I do and, and I knew yeah. that all the resources, time and and money put into this project, it it was gonna be well worth the amount that that we got back just because of the crucial I thought it was such a crucial time for for I didn't see a lot of artists doing a lot of choral work and and yeah. To me that was so surprising that once I started researching how huge of a problem it was. And so yeah, it, it in the end I I'm so glad that we ended up producing this one on our own and, and, and being able to then have this set concept of, of, you know, this is exactly what we felt and was most passionate about telling this side of, of what's going on. So where, where is the project? Is it still under, is it still in the place that you painted it or what do you We have, we had a ton of different test sites and we have two that are still down there and we're kind of, I want to be able to monitor them and, and fine tune the the projects to make them, you know, larger scale for the, our next ones. And so yeah. it's exciting, though, because I have no idea how, you know, the the time frame on these, because I didn't realize also that algae, coral, they all grow. Well, coral itself grows slow, but just the marine life and, and algae quickly adapt to the structures down there. So you can see an immediate within the next few weeks of us complaining it you know all these marine life coming around and, and integrating with it so it was it oh, was really wow. cool so to they see integrate the core like grows around on yeah because even um as long as you use you know non-toxic concrete then they it's completely it's like a their coral home structures oh, um wow. and so as long as yeah they have these little pockets to live in then they're yeah That's a insane. lot of them are able to use it wait so did you guys pour the concrete yourself drop it in and then like you For, we had different it? methods yeah i know a lot of foundations use their own concrete molds we were using a mixture of both so yeah we we poured a couple of our own and then we we're just kind of experimenting with how effective they were and and learning just a lot about about how ecosystems work and, and how to maximize the impact of, of these structures down there. That's incredible. <laughs> That's <laughs> so you. cool. And and you have to like, you hold your breath while you're painting, right? Yeah. You're like free diving. That's yeah. even more insane. Yeah. Like, and it, it was free diving, you know, growing up in Hawaii in the water, I thought it was going to be the easiest thing. Well, not the easiest. I just thought I I should have lung strength from surfing and you know all this but 
completely wrong. I I started out like it was probably I think barely a minute of me holding my breath the first time and it was nowhere near like I think I needed I calculated about I needed at least two and a half minutes down every breath to be able to do the amount of detail I wanted to get. <laughs> so just mind blowing. Yeah. And and it it was it was yeah, just a for that year and a half, I tr- it was the first time where I trained like I was a professional athlete and going out every morning, diving, doing, you know, these mass. I was never been a runner and I had to pick up running because it would wow. help my cardio strength. And so I always, yeah, it, it was the total switch for me of, of my lifestyle for that. I mean, that's yeah. a whole nother level of art being able to like, you have to train to yeah. be able to paint. Like, yeah. That's, that's mind blowing. Like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's, I had learned it from lifeguarding when I was young. So it, it was something that, you know, I knew physical training and I, I was, I was already familiar with it, but yeah, it, it's always that, that fine line between, yeah, how like how much do I want to sacrifice for for this? Because my body was getting wrecked that first year of getting used yeah. to I had first three months I had blew my eardrum out and I had it was just training too hard, I realized. And it was I was out of the water for the next three months recovering from that. Wow. And I thought the project was done because I was like, if, if I can't even handle three months of training, I'm not gonna be able to go down there every day for a month to produce these murals. Yeah. No and so I finally healed up and I was able to get back in the water, but it was, yeah, it was a total, total different sacrifice because before what? I was just more mental, you know? <laughs> yeah. No kidding. So how, when you got all, when you were built up, how, how long were you able to hold your breath? It was about, yeah, I got to the two and a half mark where, you know, that was safe for me to go down for two and a half minutes, come up, recover for another five minutes and then go back down to two and a half. So I had a, that set routine in and then it was, yeah, it was, it was all surprisingly, it was, I, I, what helped was a lot of meditation because it's a oh. lot of mental. Like I, I didn't realize that every, no matter how much I can control and, and, and control my body and, you know, underwater, you, just want to move as efficiently as possible because you're always burning oxygen. Yeah. But I realized that my heart rate was needed to get, you know, 20, 20 beats a minute lower in order because, yeah, it was, <laughs> I, I've always been, you know, like I have now a full cup of coffee. I've always been just on, on caffeine my whole yeah. life. So it is hard to slow down like that and really like, okay, breathe and, yeah. and, and slow it. And, but it, it was really cool because, when I'm actually doing the mural, it's like every stroke needed to be efficient and, you know, it would burn, burn up, which is a lot of what I learned in New York, you know, like how I was calculating my time. It's like, okay, if I, if I, you know, only have a dollar a day off food that saves me another, you know, so I got to make whatever I do that day as efficient as possible because it's going to be burning whatever, yeah. yeah, burning my time. So, it was almost similar to that. I had to be so calculated as soon as I dove down to know exactly where, what, okay, what breaststrokes am I going to do exact and then go from there. <laughs> That's insane. It's <laughs> insane. What kind of paint did you use to be able to paint underwater? I mean, that's, that's yeah. so that was another trick in and of itself. Yeah, I don't exactly. I've ever seen that. So 
again, I, I had to start with the structure and it was a metal structure that was able to like the metal and concrete are the two main marine growth agitators, I guess, in, in ocean. And so I had to use, start with those two and then be able to use an eco-friendly primer that could then be able to pick up the pigment. And so I ended up with these wax pigment sticks that I made purely from just natural pigment. And it was almost like a vegetable oil. And so, so it dried, once it dried and, and was able to form into these sticks, was I able to then transfer it over with a special primer on these concrete and metal. So it's like a whole process that I had to figure out. And it was funny because I was testing it out in in this in my studio with like a big baby pool full of Epsom salt trying to mimic <laughs> ocean and, and then leaving it in overnight, figuring out what which wow. ones worked, which ones didn't. And so it was a scientific as scientific as I could get with <laughs> That's serious though. That is that's insane. Yeah. Now you were talking about as a meditative process, do you do any other um meditation practices outside of that what you were doing with that the project um yeah i mean so yeah what that taught me i mean i use a app on my phone that that helps me guides me because i have such add that i can never i never got into full like i mean even now i can only meditate for 15 minutes tops but it's still i see so much benefits in it and besides my heart rate going down when i when i dive but yeah it was very surprising because i know a lot of guys would preach about it and I would be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And just, <laughs> you know, as long as I got my workout in for the day, I thought I was mentally all good. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I feel so much clearer just with, yeah, any, any anxiety and, and things, it, it, it definitely helps in the long run to just take that 15 minutes a day. Yeah. And I also, it, diving also helped me pick up yoga as well because I need to be oh. very flexible and, and it, it went hand in hand in meditation. And so, I try to do those uh, still daily because we're, you know, we're still we're still doing a ton of dive projects this next year. So I got to wow. stay stay active and and keep <laughs> keep on my toes. Yeah, you have to exercise quite often. It seems. Yeah, yeah. You, I mean, we're in Long Beach here. Do you do you are you getting in the water in yeah, this area I a mean, lot or is it? Unfortunately, not just because I've been so in and out of town. And like I was telling you earlier, I I moved to LA three years ago, but it's been in and out in and out and I still haven't really felt like I've settled in here but yeah. I do try to get out to Huntington side if when I can but yeah even that I, I try to go diving and, and the water is so much gnarlier unless I go all the way down to like Laguna <laughs> <laughs> yeah it doesn't look it doesn't look that great down here but yeah yeah totally uh, opposite of what I was used to training in Hawaii no kidding yeah, no. God, the beaches in Hawaii, like yeah. Sunset Beach, <laughs> Keiki. Yeah, and, yeah, oh, I love exactly. those, those beaches are amazing. Yeah, my my standard has definitely had to lower, especially in <laughs> in New York. I was going out to Rockaway, which is even worse. <laughs> oh my God, that's just yeah, <laughs> that chocolate milk water. Exactly, or just like dirt water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how do you how do you train when you're on the road? I mean, if you're constantly going on all these, you know, you have to like. I guess some of the the paddleboard stuff it doesn't take as intense training, but yeah, I mean. yeah. Luckily, I I haven't needed training on my paddleboard paintings, but it always helps just to stay. I mean, uh, th- yeah. Throughout growing up, I've always been very active and knowing that you know if I don't have my workout, I have so much anxiety growing up. So I would just always you know make sure I had time for a workout, and so I've never really been off of. Yeah, I've never really been inactive, but. Yeah. 
now that I'm traveling a lot more, it is harder, especially, you know, when you're stuck in a hotel room or, or something, you, yeah, yeah it, it, it's difficult, but yeah, there's always workarounds. I have, I have like a, a homemade, like band set and like, a um, resistant band set and, yeah. and travel, like stretching stuff and, and some at least body weight stuff that I can work on in hotel rooms and things. But I always, yeah, yeah it, it, if I, especially if I know, well, what's lucky for me is a lot of my projects, especially my, even my commercial projects are still active. You know, I'm still out on the water. I'm still doing, so it, it keeps me really busy yeah. anyway. So it keeps me in shape, but yeah, I, I do know that I, especially if I slack off on, on the lung training and, and the actual, like we, we do like apnea tables where you hold your breath for a certain amount to gain some CO2 tolerance and all this stuff that you can do on your own, but you have to remember to take, you know, the 30 minutes out, out of your time to, to just, yeah, have it. And yeah, once you get on a routine, you know, if, if I don't have check all my boxes at the end of the day, it, it's, (laughs) it always feels, feels bad. And even if I'm traveling. Yeah. Do you have like a morning routine or anything like that? Kind of. Yeah. You know, I always have to, well, now I've learned that since doing so much physical stuff and make sure to get all my stretching out of the way in the morning. And then I go straight into kind of, yeah, just the back inside of, of business with emails and everything. But then I'll go straight from emails into whatever workout routine. And then I'll usually, if I'm back in the studio, I'll be able to paint for the rest of the day until I then, you know, uh, I'm able to at night kind of work on brainstorming and concepting is that yeah. that's my usual routine, but it's always different, especially when, if, if I am on site for a certain project and, you know, we are having to kind of work through the night or, or something crazy or, wow. or camp or, you know, it's, it's always, uh, you gotta be flexible. <laughs> No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> How long does it take you to complete a, a project typically? Um, if everything is done properly as far as like prep work and, and research and, and all the logistics side, it usually on site is only, you know, four to seven days for a mural. And again, that's always changes just because like with the underwater murals, I, I had to bang those out in two days each just because it was so hard to get out on the water with, you know, being able to, I, I, yeah, I just didn't want to create such a large scale mural that we have to be out there for a week on the water, you know, and I don't, I have no idea how my body's going to handle it, but it's, it's, yeah, it's always fun just because yeah, it's, it's like nothing, no set in stone routine that we do with our projects, you know, besides, I mean, yeah, it's, it's such a wide variety that it's so hard to explain a set, you know. Yeah, that's timeline. Crazy. Yeah, no kidding. So when you're in a studio, what kind of stuff are you painting in there? I like to again uh, incorporate as much elements that I learned out in in nature, and so well lately I've been doing a lot of underwater inspired paintings, and oh, cool. yeah, I just like I like going a little more abstract in the studio, and mm. and you know being much less just literal figures but more yeah just kind of minimal abstract with forms and everything but definitely heavily water inspired um i also paint on like surfboards and and create just working on a lot of different water installations that um yeah i just i 
I always want to fine tune that translation from what I do out on, on murals back into, you know, into something that is, is well suited for interior. Um, yeah, I guess like it's always tricky just because of having that nature variable and having to somehow reproduce that nature (laughs) variable back into, into artwork and fine art and, and having a cohesive kind of, uh, like for the under underwater series i'm working on these fountains that i paint and then yeah just like a fountain panel that that is it's almost like um i guess they just call it water fountain features but once i'm done with the painting i can i can then put it put it on and and the water just pumps onto the painting and and it's such a cool layer added to it and it perfectly is exactly the kind of pieces that I've been trying to concept more of because it literally brings in exactly what I did out out in nature and back into on a wall. So cool. And so that's yeah, that's what I'm re- really looking forward to creating more time this this coming year and yeah. and, and nailing more of those concepts. So dope. So mm-hmm. dope, man. So much to talk about, but I think we'll going to wrap it up here. A couple more questions. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. One question I used to, I love to ask all my guests is like, what is, what does the phrase live inspiration mean to you? Live inspiration. Yeah. Um, I guess I could, yeah, it's pretty wide range. I, I, I think for me, live inspiration is, yeah, I guess it just take, taking it literally like, yeah, I guess live, just live, live daily as someone you would inspire to to be like for me i think of the guys who inspired me growing up and you know the little hints of like i was saying my art instructor that was able to produce you know some these forms on these paper that was so inspiring to me and and i think just to have that creative outlet and and to find inspiration because for me whenever i complete a piece it's so cool to see people's reactions and they are I'm lucky to have a a platform where there's so many different perspectives on it and people pull things that I didn't even know you know I remember a couple paintings were translated differently than what I had originally produced it for but it was so cool because if that's what spoke to them and that's what connected them with the mural then totally you know that that's that's what that's why art is so kind of just based on the viewer. So I, yeah. I I just loved it just because I could and never in a million years could I have thought this amount of people would connect with my artwork, you know, yeah. and something that I I yeah, li- just had no real structure to it in the beginning and then to form into this whole, you know, new platform. Absolutely. Well, where can people find you on the interwebs and see your work and connect with you? On the World Wide Web. Um, World Wide Web. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, my Instagram is the hula, or the underscore hula, and our website is Kapu Collective. And that's, yeah, me and my brother. So we both are able to kind of, yeah, have our collection of work on there, and you'll be able to see how he translates all my projects into photos and videos wow. and, and tells all these stories. So it's, it's much easier for me because I don't have to worry about that side. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Sean, I acknowledge you for what you're putting out in the world. It's so amazing. Thank your you, work is you. beautiful and <laughs> even like the, the mission behind it and, and uh, which is even bigger. So thanks for uh, hanging out and chatting. 
Yeah, of course. Thank you so much. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to today's episode with Sean Yoro. I'm your host, Nick Onkin. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, I would love it if you could help spread the word, leave a review over on Apple Podcasts and star it at a high rating if you feel so inclined. This podcast is funded by myself and uh, all I would love is to the help to share it out. So don't forget to go over to the Neon Life quiz if you want to sign up for some free content that'll help you in your creative journey over at neonlife.com slash quiz, 10 quick questions, and we'll send you some free goodies. You know what that time is? That time is to go out and create your life by creating every small moment. And we'll see you next time. Next time.